Hello. If you'll notice I'm at a new angle, it's because our producer Chris finally brought over his telescopic articulated phone holder. So now we can do kind of more face-to-face -face as opposed to the weird downward angle, the sort of POV, POV porn angle I was using. Uh, but what this really means is that now it'll be much easier for me to do another grilling stream. Because the first time, the reason I kind of decided I don't want to do this anymore is because it was too hard to pay attention to where the camera was, keep it up, and what was going on in the grill. But, and yeah, I drop it all the time too. So now I've got the fence over here. I'm going to post it up on the fence. I'll get a nice bird's eye view of my head and the grill, and we can just go through a hole. We'll do a little grill and chill sometime this week. So, I was doing what I usually do when I'm alone, and I was thinking about the monitor and the Merrimack. For those of you who don't know what that was, it was uh, the most famous naval battle of the Civil War, uh, which doesn't have a lot of great naval battles in it, mostly running blockade, well, running, uh, like fleets running uh, through like fort systems like uh, New Orleans or Mobile. Damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, like broadside on broadside because the Union had such overwhelming naval superiority. So what that meant was that the Confederacy kept trying to find a technological workaround, force multipliers to make up for the fact that they had so fewer ships, so many fewer ships. And so they did very innovative things, like they built a fucking submarine, the uh, CSS Hunley, which was designed to be able to go under water to a blockade ship, attach a naval mine, and then leave uh, and blow up the ship. Uh, and they tried it, and they successfully blew up and sank a Union blockade ship, but at the cost of the entire uh, boat crew. So, if those guys had had the if those Confederates had had the faith of like an ISIS recruit, they might have actually been able to keep doing that. If they'd been able to find 12 guys ready to turn the crank and blow up in exchange for what? I mean, it was a good trade. One, it was like 12 guys in, in a little metal uh, turd blew up a ship and brought down what, like 300 uh, Yankee sailors? And completely took out a commission, a, a, a ship of line? And so the other thing they did is they experimented with putting metal, iron, on the sides of the ships so that the damn cannons would stop just staving in the planks of the wood and sinking the ships. And what that led them to do was they, uh, when they seized, I believe it was uh, Newport News in Virginia, there was a U.S. ship that was abandoned by the uh, by the naval. Um, that was abandoned by the U.S. Navy as the the Confederacy came closer, and it was called the USS Merrimack. And what they did is they covered it with slanting iron clad iron cladding that was designed to be able to absorb the blow of a artillery piece and then hopefully have it ricochet offered. So the thing when it was a, 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 a water, a boat, 
looked like just sort of a trapezoid with guns poking out of it. There was you couldn't really there were no crew members. It was all under behind. And of course this time, U.S. Navy ships and Confederate Navy ships, all Navy ships, kind of looked vaguely like master and commander, open deck, uh, wooden sides, and wooden keel or whatever, and uh, foxels and such and uh, gunnels. All that's wood, and then the masts, and you know the cannons underneath the deck. This is totally unlike that. And so it rolled up, it, it steamed up to uh, the mouth of the James River in Hampton Roads, Virginia, where there were a bunch of U.S. ships uh, observing the uh, blockade of the southern ports and southern waterways to keep them from getting, selling. Uh, cotton in Europe and getting supplies and money and stuff from Europe or anywhere else and the ship rolls up looking like this weird metal block floating in the water couldn't even see the crew like it didn't even look like it was being manned by people and remember this is a time when you know there wasn't a lot people didn't interact with the mechanical reality very often there was there is obviously uh, there were obviously trains, but train travel was still relatively rare. People mostly traveled by shanks mare or by horse. So this ship rolls up and starts shooting at them, blowing holes into these uh, boats. And they fire back, but everything just glances off of them. And they sink a ship, and they, they they disable another one on the shoal. On the on the on the uh, another one, while trying to escape, runs aground on a sandbar. But they're out of ammo. They're going to come back the next day, finish her off. So imagine you're a crew on that boat, crew on that ship, waiting a sitting duck to get annihilated by this monstrosity, this thing that cut, looks like it's coming out of a different world. And then the next morning. Can you imagine trying to sleep? The light comes up on Hampton Road, and there's the, the, the Merrimack. But then, in between you and the Merrimack, is this weird little floating teardrop plank-like thing, this metal eye, almost, shaped, with a, little, with a little metal box on top of that, much smaller than the metal box, and much lower and closer to the waterline, just poking out, like the hump of a... Of a of a of a killer of a humpback whale or something. And so now you got to be thinking, well, what the fuck is this? Where did this thing come from? I mean, you've already seen the, the Merrimack. Obviously, the doors of perception are opening a little bit. You're now aware more things are possible on, on this earth than you had thought, maybe. But now this thing? What the fuck? It didn't even look like a boat. The, everyone called the the the, the classic. Uh, Description was cheese box on a raft, and of course, modern readers you see that and they go, "What the fuck is a cheese box?" Well, cheese used to come in boxes. Okay, they didn't have plastic packaging for things, and you weren't just gonna have like, you're not gonna just take cheese off the floor like off a shelf and hold it in your hand. So it came in a little box, and it had a little one little cannon, boop, poking out a little slit, and I'm sure you're holding your breath, and then it moves out to meet the Merrimack and then it starts shooting at it and they spend the day just blasting cannon shells off of one another in a way in a way that no 
no contemporary wooden warship would be able to take. And at the end of it, uh, there was an explosion in the in the in the uh, the gun sight of the of the monitor, and it had to withdraw. But the Merrimack was out of out of fucking ammo anyway, and it had to withdraw. And they saved the boat. They saved the, the they saved the the Union blockade ship that had been uh, run aground. And I always think about that sometimes. I think about witnessing that either on one of the other ships in the in the Hampton Roads or from the land because there were people there. Somebody uh, on on Twitter said it must have been something like seeing a kaiju fight, like kaiju battle, and. Uh, like there had to have had some there had to have, it had to have felt otherworldly it had to have felt like there had to have been some notion of anyone involved in that moment that something was shifting that they were entering a new world and i think about how like those moments have been so hyper-normalized, that now we don't even notice them. You know? Like, we, 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 anyone who's alive now has seen something on the psychically disorienting level of watching the Merrimack and the Monitor trade blows on Hampton Roads every couple of years, probably? But there's just so damn many of them. But yeah, because I think it's hard to find another moment that disorienting because, I mean, you were already in a civil war, for God's sake, so, so the, the, the ground was clearly unstable beneath your feet. But to have that kind of thing burst in the middle of it, somebody, I saw a painting that uh, uh, someone, a Japanese, like, silk artisan or whatever, like the silk, or the silk screens or whatever they did, like to commemorate historical events, and I saw one of uh, of the black of Matthew Perry's Black Fleet that that, that by force opened Tokyo to Western trade in the eighteen sixties, and it's 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 a Japanese style uh, wood print or whatever, and it's got the Japanese looking guys with the kimonos and the samurai swords looking out onto a water, and then just a big black trapezoid looking thing, no people. No, no. It's like you see this this rolling hill, and these these flowingly robed figures, and the and the ocean with the undulating tide, and then these brutal angles, and this unnatural black. It's kind of felt like that. I guess what I when I think about that is I just sort of. I guess I envy being in a position where those sort of things aren't already pre-digested. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like as insane as everything has been in the 21st century, and they've just been getting more insane by, like, the by an exponential rate, almost. None of them, really, except maybe 9-11, have felt, in the moment, like they were... Uh, uprooting anything. This gets to what Felix says. The idea that everything keeps getting worse. Everything's the wor everything's the same, but it's getting worse. Everything's shitty, but just getting slowly worse, even though it's the same. 
what he's describing is that sense of having everything assimilated instantly by our, 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 our awareness of the hyper moment that we're living in. Our consciousness of the, the, the flow, of the slipperiness of reality is such that things can't really throw us that way because we are instantly assimilating them into our understanding of how the world works. These things just become instantly part of our understanding. In fact, we instantly, as soon as we hear about them, our brain goes overboard to convince ourselves, well, of course this is going to happen. And anyone who is surprised by it, wow, what's wrong with you? You didn't see this coming? Well, I guess some people weren't paying attention. And I just like the idea of just being able to stand there on a sand dune and just watch something that happened on Earth and know that you're the first person to ever see it, to see that. I guess at this point you wouldn't want to get that feeling because it would have to be such a tremendous break that you probably couldn't handle it. And this is the thing I keep thinking about with the internet. Like, I think I, I said on here a while ago, uh, you know, we all just assume MKUltra stopped because they got bored with it or the results were inconclusive. It just they ran out of experiments and they were never able to do a repeatable thing to create anything that could be useful out of it. And that's just what we assume because you know, all the information we ever found out about MKUltra was on the CIA's terms. The initial, the initial, the, the majority of the documents were destroyed. We only know about MKUltra because documents in an auxiliary warehouse were un accidentally uncovered years later. I mean, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that we can really say for sure we know what the progress of and what the findings of MKUltra were. And when you think about things like uh, the Manson murders and, and Tom O'Neill's book, which is really, really interesting and offers some tantalizing connections between MKUltra and the Manson murders, uh, and also, liter uh, and among the things he finds, among the things he found was a letter from Dr. Jolly West, who's like the fucking... Uh, uh, he is the uh, Forrest Gump of MK Ultra, and that he's there for all like the nastiest shit, and the like. He, he's it's he's him and Do him, he, and he he answered directly to Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who was the the chief necromancer at the CIA, and he's and at one point, and this is after a very odd, mysterious child murder had occurred at the army base where West was uh, stationed and uh, which he in participated in interviewing the uh, suspect who claims to not rem have no memory of uh, committing the murder but who ended up confessing after talking to West. West also talked to uh, to Jack Ruby in his jail cell uh, and after he talked to West he was never coherent again in any other interviews. But he wrote a letter to Sidney Gottlieb that Tom O'Neill found where he expressly says I have discovered a way to make people do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. He says it. And then when you realize it, and then when you find out that he was also occupying real estate at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic where Manson, well Manson was there in San Francisco in the Summer of Love and where he was seen and where he took members of the family on a daily basis. I mean, it's circumstantial, but it's something. It's something worth thinking about. And the thing that makes me think about is, what 
did MK Ultra turn into? And you know, you want to get you want to get baroque and you want to get high modernist. You could say, oh, that they're like pumping it into the water supply or chemtrails, and we're all getting like a synthetic. We're all getting like a propaganda dose of, of broadcast media that is then we're made more receptive to by a perfect uh, a perfect recipe of psychopharmacological ingredients that long research in MKUltra laboratories and in ex, uh, field experiments like Manson, like uh, Frank Olson, like maybe Jonestown, like that city, that town in France in the early '60s that is suspected to have been dosed entirely. An entire town in France has for years been assumed to have been dosed by acid, by unknown people. And now, recently, there's a new uh, CIA document unearthed where they talked about field experiments. I mean, they did those failed controlled experiments like Midnight Climax where they had uh, sex workers dose their clients and filmed what happened. Uh, and tried, or tried to like pump it in aerosolized into a party. This is, uh, this is like, with a, with a significant, statistically significant sample size of people. Uh, and, like, that's why I think that that's a, as good an explanation for, as any for things like the Mothman. Uh, like, when you look at the wild multiplicity of, uh, of things that people in and around Point Pleasant, West Virginia, said they saw in 18, 1966 and 67, it's not impossible to imagine that that was some sort of experiment. And this time, not just giving them acid and see what happens, but giving them acid and then giving them a specific uh, stimulus and seeing how they responded to it. See if there was any sort of group cohesion around certain explanations. Like if they became susceptible to certain entreaties. So you get a CIA guy with a fucking, like a, hell, it could be a helicopter or, or, a, or a frogman suit. Uh, and you you give the town enough LSD and then you see what happens but yeah so if you want to go high modernist you'd say that but I would say you want to get digital with it you want to get you want to get 21st century the fucking internet is, is, the, is the acid of the current MKUltra variant if there is one the ex I mean it's, it's not like you have to pull the strings too hard to find the connection I mean the entire internet was a DARPA project it was a defense department pursuit. I mean, yes, we get a lot of stuff courtesy of military, military uh, in fact, most stuff we got in terms of big technological breakthroughs through intensive military investment uh, that, get, that gets turned into commercial use, but uh, I don't think we can assume that that's the only reason that, uh, that the internet was pursued. Like, oh, accidentally created the internet. We just wanted to send uh, missile plans to each other. It's just when you see what the internet has done in terms of creating an entire new plane of existence. I don't think it's too much to say. A new plane for human existence. A new place, a new dimension for humans to place their uh, anima to place their human essence, to put their spirit, their emotions, their soul, their ideologies, their jouissance, their geist, their noumena, where they want to cram it, and they can put it there. I mean, it's, 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 
it has the same ability to to shape behavior and manners of thought as a new religion, but more because it's not uh, sect sect uh, sectarian. It's ecumenical. It's truly Catholic in that it it is perceived as a platform and not an actual uh, uh, framework. Like it's just it's just a thing for you to have fun on, as opposed to a fully realized social space determined by capitalism and by uh, the state that watchguards capitalism, in which we're allowed to play out our desires, which are of course totally shaped by the market, uh, and and where we can we can substitute human action and human communication and human organization. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that people should absolutely shun the internet. I mean, ACID, which the CIA essentially introduced to the United States in order to see how it could help make people tractable, and and you could argue that the ACID influence on the American counterculture was negative in that it moved, it alienated people away from the sort of uh, militant solidarity that you would need for an effective uh, a political movement in, in favor of individualized, like, soul-searching. But it also had, I think, uh, positive effects. I know personally in my life it has. Uh, and so you take the good with the bad. But I don't think it's anything to, anything necessarily too far to just keep in mind that these structures are allowed to exist the way they are for a reason. And when you have a straight line of, like, of, of, of the, the the militarization undergirding the internet like it, it, it's 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 existence as an outgrowth of the military uh, Keynesian state I think that's a good reminder you know it's a good way to keep yourself from logging too much on is to know like this is the enemy's domain you are, you are pilgrims in an unholy land. And there's a total chance that, like, the forces they're unleashing here are beyond they, the ones that they can control. And that's certainly true of us. Like, if I was, if I, if I wanted to do an artistic uh, thing about the Mothman, the whole point was that there would no be no explanation. There would be interlocking narratives that would conflict with one another and reinforce one another but none of which would be uh, would be privileged or validated but one of the ones would be yeah it starts as the CIA dosing this town but then their 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 collective will to believe essentially creates a real mothman like a tulpa a psychic manifestation of this town of, of, of essentially of the Cold War because Pleasant was built uh, next to an underground munitions lab that was one of the big uh, post-war or early 20th century employers of the area. They made dynamite for the military. You know, the awareness of, of, of uh, global brinksmanship and nuclear, a nuclear war and, and the sort of the doom cycle of, of, of military uh, uh, buildup 
they all have that. They're all tweaking that at some psychic level, even if they weren't aware of it. And then they get dosed by acid by their own government to protect them from the Russians and give them a boogeyman. What if they made it real? But it's actually the manifestation of the very state that they uh, owe their prosperity to. The, the dark side, the unspoken. Uh, the shadow figure of the virtuous yeoman republic that we thought we lived in. Or that we think we live in consciously. Or at least back then they did, probably, in West Virginia. Who knows? See, someone says, will Q become real in the same way? I mean, Q, you could already argue that Q has been made real. I am of the opinion that the first Q post was probably a joke by an irony person. And then the initial batch of proofs were by some uh, hustling right-wing uh, forum dweller who figured out that they could make money on the back end by interpreting Q. I mean, there was, there was apparently a video uh, of one of these people accidentally logging on to Q using the Q name back when they were still putting Q, uh, proofs out, and then they quickly realized they were on camera and turned it off. Uh, and that seems very plausible to me. But like, most of the stuff that we now think of as Q canon was not in any of the proofs. Like the stuff about JFK Jr., that's all. none of that is is Q. That's that's a Q splinter. That's that's uh, that's Gnostic te gospels of the Q. And now you've got Q members of Q uh, Q believers are going to be in Congress in the next session. Imagine they become an actual faction, uh, and they get and there's some member of uh, like the intelligence community who wants enough of them are in power that he feels safe to come out could be a whistleblower and go in front of Congress and claim to be Q and and denounce the deep state. At that point, can you say that he isn't? I'm trying to think of some of the other good uh, Q uh, Gnostic Gospels. Things that were pulled out of someone's ass and then everyone decided were... were uh, I think, the, think that all the shit about Tom Hanks, I think, is not from Q. Because I don't think Q's dropped a proof in a year, but they're still out there and it's totally self-propelling now. They're not even responding to the initial uh, signal anymore. Like once the that's the difference between the difference between a cult. The real difference between a cult and a religion is that the the prophet, the fountainhead, either the deity or the the representative of the deity or the wise man who founded it is still alive. It's a cult. If he's dead and this thing's still around. Then it's a religion. If it survives beyond the uh, the the immediate charisma of its founder then it's durable enough to be a religion. And I'd say because it's been so long since Q has actually posted, at this point, given the speed of internet, he's effectively dead, and Q's still around. So that means it's now a religion. Because these people are all now operating off of their own stuff. Like, the Bible's been written, now they're doing new stuff. Now they're doing uh, commentaries. Now they're writing their own versions of uh, City of God. Uh... The Summa Theologica. They're writing. They're writing their own Vulgates. They're writing their own. Uh, 
their own Dead Sea Scrolls. Because at the end of the day, what Q does is accuse, provides a psychic balm to the cognitive dissonance of living in a country that you love deeply and that it treats you like shit and it sucks and is awful and is terrible and bad. And the thing is, everybody's got to deal with that in some way. The, the healthy way is to say, maybe this country isn't that great. Maybe it isn't being run for my interests. Not for the interests of some global cabal, but, but by the interests of the richest people in the country. But if you have certain ideological matrix, that thought will never occur to you. And so you have to do mental gymnastics to imagine some... Uh, some American Mahdi showing up to right all the wrongs and put all of the evil people away and validate your your suffering, your imagined suffering, because most of these people are not really suffering. But the less you suffer, the more slights hurt because it's all you feel. So they're they're miserable. They're 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 in deep agony uh, because of the country's failure to uh, comport with their vision of it, uh, and they fill in the gap with Q. Like all the things that you see are all the public evil is mirrored by secret good, which is of course the opposite of what really all all, all any kind of public good is mirrored by a deeper and more more systematically uh, uh, a more systematically influential evil. And so, yeah, there's, they're nuking all the underground pedophile bear, uh, lairs, and uh, yeah, one day they will, uh, Q will emerge to, to, to judge the righteous uh, and the guilty. And if your name was written in the book of Q, you shall have eternal life. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just like you could argue that it's like the third, it's like a great awakening type thing. It's like the third great awakening. It's, it's like you could you could starting like maybe in the 70s at the beginning of the moral majority you could all you could track this whole re revivification of political pr Protestantism like desacralized de because that's the thing like none of these people really believe in God they have no spiritual dimension to their life it, they're entirely material Matir their their vision of God is 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 there is uh, is Trump. Their vision of heaven is the villages or Sugarland, Texas. Creating a material comfort to live now, that's actually the pursuit of heaven. And, and you could call this like the third great awakening, but like a, 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 it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a deeper, it's a deeper sleep, really. But it is a revivification of a new form of Protestantism that has shaken all of its uh, spiritual fetters and become a total worship of the self and of the self's uh, material reward and material satisfaction it's, it's essentially hedonism no I'll, I mean I'm sure they'd be mad if I told them they don't believe in God but they 100% don't believe in God They think that heaven is like their fucking backyard barbecue. And that only makes sense if you do not have a spiritual dimension, as in you do not imagine, if you do not if you cannot extend like your imagination to a plane beyond this one. 
That's the only way any notions of he heaven or the sublime or God or oneness or unity or anything makes sense is if there's another dimension of perception. And they don't have that. So it's not it's not it's not a religion. It's not a spiritual pursuit. It's desacralized. And the thing is, is that that's, it's evangelical Christianity, but it's basically true of most Christians. Like most Catholics are like that now. Most everybody is because secularization doesn't just affect your uh, secular institutions, it affects religious institutions as well. You're substituting at every level material convenience and pleasure for any kind of social good. Then what room is there for a spirit? I mean, we have defined, we have defined life as, as the accumulation of individual physical and emotional pleasure. And you could say that's not true, but that's well, that is how we have defined life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All that, all that abstract shit that could mean anything really, given the different social context in this specific social context, has come down to us now. As, as it must is. We're the, we're the consumer of last resort, for God's sakes. Of course this is our ideology. This country exists to consume. That is the moral of America in the world system, is to consume. Be at the end of the line and eat the fucking leftovers. And so that's why we have, instead of having work, worker control at... Uh, because it is, it's genuinely true. Americans ha have more wealth and Americans make more money than Europeans do by a significant amount. And they get instead the big long vacations, you know, and healthcare. And you can say, well, it's not, our, we didn't choose this, and it's, it's complicated, but at a certain level, because we're still all living this way, and we're still all, we're not in revolt, we've accepted the logic of it at some level. Because we acted out. Even if we don't like it, we acted out. We accept the logic that it is consumption is the sum total of human pursuit. No, no spirituality can survive that. No, no kind of spirituality can survive a, a world where that's the where that's the case. And that is why socialism is is dead, and why it's everyone's just breaking their fucking arms trying to get some fucking volts into the cadaver. Because socialism imagines as a baseline a social order where values other than consumption have been brought in, where they have been where where, where consumption is balanced, and Americans have a very hard time even conceiving of that, because they only see it as losing what they have, because the gains are theoretical and they're social and they're intangible, so. People don't want to give it up. And that's why, as I said the other on the last stream, I think it was, there's this tendency of, of people on the left to insist, I gotta bring my ball. I gotta bring my my whatever my personal uh system for sucker and uh and and pain alleviation is. 
my opiate, which usually ends up being some sort of consumer desire because that's the country we live in, I need to bring that along with me. No deal. But we're trying to build something where that won't be necessary. Yeah, but I don't know that. I don't want. I don't want to. I, it's part of my identity now. And if I if I give it up, then I'm not going to be in charge of making the new world. And and people like me are going to be discriminated against, even though we're defining, we're talking about something that by definition wouldn't exist. So people wouldn't be oppressed because it would not be. Uh, it wouldn't even be a consideration. We need to go back to Hegel. That is correct. I gotta say, guys, the guy knew what he was. I mean, he's you gotta you gotta like it is really Marx and Hegel. I mean, in practical political terms, political economic terms, Marx is where you start. Hegel is it's more abstract, but like if if uh, if if Marx turned Hegel on its head, well, then by definition, Hegel is the other side. It's the it's the feet or whatever the fuck. It's one thing, and two sides of it. They're both true. And his description of, of the of the of the of uh, his notion of humanity as a being coming into consciousness of itself as a species, the way that a mind comes into consciousness of itself as an individual. I think that's the only way to understand. Uh, it's the only way to put give meaning to to all this dialectical clockwork that we can describe. It's the only way to impart real meaning to it, to have it mean anything more than just the bare description of its of the facts of it. It's the, it's the ghost in the machine. Bring back the Prussian Empire. God no. That, I, see that's that's why he started to try to talk politics, and it's like, okay. See now, this is where Mark, Carl takes over, because no, the highest the highest uh, development of human relations is not the fucking Prussian Empire. Considering that they uh, they 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 had a chance to take over the world there for a bit, and they really kind of didn't do a great job. Yeah, no, like I said the other night, fucking the Prussians, the Prussians are fucking assholes. And speaking of Walter Scheidel uh, and his, his idea of, of uh, you know, Europe being kind of separate in development uh, than the rest of the world due to its lack of proximity to, uh, to horse archery and the steppe and that shaping the cultures. Germany is another good example. Uh, Prussians uh, were the descendant, the, the Prussian aristocracy anyway, the Junkers of Prussia, were the descendants of the Teutonic Knights who uh, settled that region uh, in the uh, the Northern Crusade against the the old uh, the old Balts, the the, the 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 last pagan remnant in the continental Europe uh, west of the uh, Urals, I guess, and. So it was like a military aristocracy, like and uh, and they descended along those lines, whereas the party Germans of uh, Varia kind of nestled in the middle there, near Switzerland, not bothering anybody, not 
didn't even really have to worry about the Ottomans. Austria had to worry about the Ottomans, and that's why those guys have such huge sticks up their asses. But in, Berlin, but in the, like that Rhine area, it's just giant casks of worst demeanor and all of the encased meats you can handle. What's not to like? The Hohenzollern, though, that's one of the better. I like the Hohenzollerns a lot. Uh, uh, I also like the, the ruling house of Bavaria that ruled way longer than the Habsburgs, uh, the Wittelsbach. It's a good one. Somebody's mad about uh, me saying that they settled the Baltic. Well, there's a lot of Lutheran German aristocrats in Lithuania. How'd they get there? Yes, yes, Battle of the Ice. Alexander Nevsky. But come on. They, they took over a bunch of that area. The electoral makeup of Weimar Germany. Uh, even though Nazism started in Bavaria, that was never their heartland of their electoral power, because all the German parts of, uh, all the Catholic parts of Germany, the most popular party was the Center Party, which was an explicit Catholic party that attempted to do its own sort of third-way Catholic thing of like being critical of uh, like uh, capitalism, but still being traditional and all that sort of G.K. Chestertonian. Uh, it was it was the lower middle classes and uh, and farmers, the small holding peasantry, the, our beloved sack of uh, sauerkraut, or I guess sacks of sauerkraut. Yes, the PMC did. We're, we're the we're the we're the party as, as always are the party of fascism. And that's why I wanted. I want. I'm glad that was brought up though, because I wanted to say something about fascism. Um, there's been obviously a very heated debate over the last few years about like what counts as fascism, and specifically what counts about uh, what counts as fascism about the current moment. Right? Is Trump a fascist? Uh, are the Proud Boys fascists? Are the cops fascists? Is, what does it mean? Does it just mean author right-wing authoritarianism, or is it more specific? If it's too specific, then it just becomes a historical descriptor that has no contemporary meaning at all. And then, of course, there's a practical argument, which is, well, if you've got the, the, the if, if, if all of your democratic niceties have been destroyed and you are now a, 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 a being directly suborned to capitalism's jackie boot, isn't that, doesn't it not matter what you want to call it? Doesn't that mean that's fascism? If we think of fascism as like the ultimate abrogation of civil society. Uh, and I would say that that's, it's worth pointing out the distinctions and cheesing out the meaning uh, for one reason, and that is that regardless of what people are operating from in their head when they imagine fascism, the description of it that they're 
operating from uh, when they're imagining a response to it indicates that they're thinking about it specifically in the context of its historical emergence because the basic simplified narrative or a basic simplified model of, of, of the, the Nazis and the rise of, to power of fascism was you had an embattled discredited uh, uh, existing order representing a, a specific national bourgeois collection of, of capitalists uh, and then you have a rising and radical and militant left organizing in and outside of the democratic processes that existed and then fascism filled the gap protected the, the, the order the state and uh, the class interests that the state represented from this mass with its own mass movement different composition, more middle class, more rural, but similarly mobilized, similarly able to uh, fight in the streets to control and dominate the political zones. Uh, and they were brought to power by those embattled old powers as a way to protect them, but the very mobilization and effectiveness of fascism at combining uh, socialism's ability to and, and mechanisms for mobilizing worker or uh, mobilizing people uh, workers like in socialism tr transferred over to you know small shop owners or whoever students uh, but then also with the support and aid of the richest people in the society which those, the, the left wing certainly didn't have but that put them in a position where they were able to essentially absorb the state because they were more, at that point, the party became more powerful than the state that had summoned it to its protection. And so it absorbed it and brought it to its own ends. That is not possible in the current moment. That can happen. Because Americans, and specifically conservative Americans, right-wingers, the people who you would, the, the petty bourgeois, specifically of right-wingers, the people most likely to make up a social basis for fascism, are simply too demobilized to ever fill the gap that way. I mean, yes, the left isn't as scary or, or organized as it used to be, but it's certainly getting militant in a way that's making it harder to conduct business. And meet. But what's happening in the streets? What happened in the streets this summer? If we were in the moment of incipient fascism that people like to imagine, and the people especially who specifically say that Trump himself symbolizes some sort of uh, rampant fascist movement, they would be, the street would be filled with paramilitaries fighting back. And what has actually happened? You have some pathetic, like three dorks in Hawaiian shirts standing around, not making eye contact, eye contact with anybody, getting like a couple of shots for TikTok and then going home. A couple of insane guys who just come out of their cars and start shooting people, but this is the country of, of, of lone wolf shooters. We love doing that, don't we, folks? No organized counter-opposition, really, uh, in the streets anyway, from the citizenry. It's been the cops. And that's just it, is, is that we can see from the composition of forces that that right-wing, mobilized, politically, politically aware base doesn't exist. They've been demobilized. 
they've been essentially intentionally demobilized as part of that worship of material comfort. I mean, if you love America more than anything, then you love consumption. Those two things are, that's one is the expression of the other. And so you are, you've been immobilized by your own pursuit of pleasure. And I don't, this isn't theoretical, look, they're not out in the streets. The, 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 like, the, there was a march through some suburb and a bunch of them stood by the side of the road looking downward. And a lot of people are saying, if they come here, and they, Antifa comes here, but they're not going to leave. Because, not only is it because their pleasure, pleasure deadened, they're also, they don't know, they don't communicate with each other, they don't have any kind of squad structures, you don't, they don't have any durable social bonds, everything's on the computer. Now that doesn't mean that we are not in a moment where there might be a crisis where democratic institutions can no longer protect that gooey nougat center of capital from the people. What's going to fill that gap is the existing and more technologically intensive than it was in the 30s security state in the form of the cops and the military. And why that matters is it means the terrain of fight is different. It means, first and foremost, that anti-fascism as an ideological project is less important than, uh, than pr uh, proactive workplace and labor organizing along, along the axis of labor exploitation and the redress of grievances and democratization of workplace and, and, and increase of access to things like health care. Because, my God, if we're coming to that crisis point, the only thing that's going to stop the tanks rolling from the streets is if there's too many people out there to shoot. Got a couple more minutes here. I've got a, if anyone has any questions. It's getting dark. Hold on. Check this out. I got, uh, I got some Christmas tree lights up here. Has anybody heard any more about the fucking, um, about the, about the Yellow King shit in Milwaukee? Because the day it happened, everyone was like, they just uncovered a police-run pedophile ring in this house, and the cops, like, helped smuggle a bunch of guys out of there. And there's been no follow-up at all. And that's weird. Because, you know, even if the police are trying to cover this up, and even if the local media doesn't want to cover it, I would still imagine that the same people who were freaking out and tweeting about it two or three days ago have followed up and that there's some sort of someone pulling on these threads. So that makes me think that we have reached the point where of, of, of escape velocity where we're never going to find out anything anymore because it takes too long to, to follow up because we're moving too fast because everything's the next day. Or maybe the initial uh, claims are being backed up and instead of people correcting them they're just kind of not saying anything I don't know which one's true but I would like to know either way I'm very very that whole story is freaky 
Well, I mean, for example, it was claimed that those two kids got uh, those that they rescued two kids from the house. Where are the kids? That seems like something someone should know. That doesn't require uh, the fucking Journal Sentinel, uh, the Journal Sentinel's Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, investigative unit to figure out. The Kamehameha mass shooter is pretty crazy. I honestly think it's more likely that he just snapped from being a narc, which is a classic thing that happens where being in two places, being two people at once makes your brain break. But, I mean, I guess I could imagine. I just, I'm always skeptical on mass shooter shit because I don't buy the motive. Canada already has gun control. And we have never enacted gun control, thanks to thanks to mass shootings. And the idea of like, oh, we need to keep, uh, uh, oh, they need to keep doing that to keep us off our toes and to keep us disoriented and scared of one another. I mean, I honestly think it's a little naive to imagine they would have to go through with that. We got we have more guns than people in this country as it is. Do we really? And 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 like the formula, the formula on the on the on the uh, chalkboard for a culture that would produce mass shooters. It checks out, you know? There's no, like, extra space that we need to put false flags in. Now, if you, people have an idea that, like, no, the, 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 the mass shooting is, like, a cover for something else, okay. But I would need to have an idea of what the other thing is. Because I just can't buy, oh, yeah, we're going to shoot a bunch of people or pretend to shoot a bunch of people so people can uh, tweet about gun control for a couple days. Like it's, everything's already, everything's moving so fast it is, it is so like horrifyingly destabilizing. How could you distinguish between the, 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 the seated events and the real ones? And I guess the question then becomes what difference does it make? I mean, I'd certainly think that, uh, that botched stings are responsible for a lot of shit. Uh, uh, Boston bombing, first amongst those. My patio is fine. Leave me alone. I could I could see the idea of like the gun lobby doing it to get people to buy more guns, but that's that's like that's like a hallmark invented Valentine's Day level of analysis. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! I gotta go in, guys. It's coming down.